Please open your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 4. I love Mother's Day, and while this is not a Mother's Day special, there's a big genealogy in this text, which is impossible without mothers. So just know that we're thankful. We're very thankful. Um, I know there's a few runners uh, in, this, in this body. Sometimes those who are runners can surprise you. You don't expect it. Um, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of watching Isaiah suddenly become a runner. He was roped into uh, Cross Lanes Christian School's track final, the, the track, turn, what do you call it, the, the VCAT, and found himself running. And I sat at the old Laidley Field and watched him run around and was drawn back to some memories of myself when I was in junior high and high school running around that same track. And while I've, I've never been a runner, I do love running. Running down a fly ball in the outfield or streaking towards a goal in soccer or slashing to the hoop in basketball. Or running on the red clay, red dirt paths in Uganda. Running has always been something that I have enjoyed. Of course, that is before a soccer injury to the knee uh, would change that delight uh, played out in my life. And it, it was severe. It was unexpected. It was unwanted. And it caused some, some pretty good damage to my knee. It was painful. And it took a long time to heal. A lot of rehab. And it required me embracing a new normal for my life from the time I was young up in, into that to that moment, a new normal that would no longer include high-intensity sports or pounding on that knee. What's incredible, and I never would have expected this to happen, is that through that, God would bring about one of the great blessings of my life, and that's walking with Laura Beth. Who would have known that walking could be better than running? And it was through walking together that God brought a deeper work in our hearts, a deeper work in our marriage. One thing I love about God is how he enters into the unexpected, the drastic, the extreme, the difficult places in our lives. The things that cause us to cry out, this world is indeed broken, or this body is broken or these relationships are broken this fill in the blank is broken or changes that occur in our lives where we know things will never be the same and yet God enters into those places and he meets us with his grace and his mercy which alone brings hope and help and healing to those hurting things in our lives a number of years ago Laura Beth read a book in Uganda called A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Vanneken. And in it, the author chronicles his love relationship with his wife right through her death. And he shares letters that he wrote back and forth to C.S. Lewis. And if I remember correctly, the name or the title of the book comes from the author's recognition that through his wife's death, he saw it or was brought to see it ultimately as a severe mercy from the hand of God himself. One where the one who is love broke through his focus, maybe enslavement to temporary love, love in the now, in the the chasm that death had caused in his heart. And in that, God led him into the love that is eternal so that he would call his wife's death a severe mercy where God would take him deeper into love and hope in relationship with him, with the God who walks with his people and who invites his people to walk with him. And I think those words, severe mercy, tie together very well what we have seen from Genesis chapter 3 into Genesis chapter 4, because we've come to the end of the first section of Genesis. If you remember, it ran from chapter 2, verse 4, right through the end of chapter 4, in verse 26. And, and 
we're going to move through that ending section into the second section of Genesis, which will run from 5.1 through the end of 9. And it's in this first section that we have moved from the beauty and the joy of the garden to the ugliness and the reality of sorrow and life outside of the garden. We've moved from God forming man and woman, making Adam into a life, into a living being, to then man rejecting God and really becoming a life-taking being. And as we'll see today, mankind, mankind has gone from walking with God in the garden to adopting a lifestyle that ultimately celebrates and revels in walking independent of God, apart from God. And yet that is where God enters in with a severe mercy, shows us that the journey of life, ultimately there are two paths. We see these laid out. There's two ways to walk. And only one way invites us to walk with God and brings true relief and hope in the midst of the journey of the brokenness that we see on this side of the fall. So let's pray together as we come into God's word. Lord, those words, severe mercy, they seem so contradictory in my own mind and heart. And yet they get a hold of exactly what you have done and what you do in the midst of a fallen world. Because you do enter in and you do redeem and you do transform. And Lord, you invite us to journey with you and to grow deeper with you and deeper with one another. And Lord, I pray that as we read through your word this morning, that it would be alive to us, that we would be drawn to you and by your spirit. Lord, that you would work in our hearts. You know our needs. And so I pray for your grace and your help for the glory of your name. Amen. I'm going to begin by actually just reading the entirety of our passage together. So we're going to read from Genesis 4:17 up through uh, 5:32. And again, it's easy to kind of read and just skip through genealogies, so I want to make sure that we have read all of Genesis 5 in its entirety. So right, hear God's word as I read. Genesis 4:17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. 
when Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And I think we'll stop there. One verse short. Earlier I stated that there, there are two paths. There's two ways to walk. Genesis 4 through 5 demonstrates this for us by really highlighting two genealogies, Cain and Seth. But the paths are not paths based on mere physical descendants. They are paths that follow two different leaders. One is a serpent. Another is a deliverer or the path of God. So first, I want to look together really at the way of the serpent because that's what the end of Genesis 4 is is leading us towards really wants us to see this reality of sin and all that it is doing in the world the way that that's working out in relationship to those who were made in God's image but who follow really the way of the serpent those who cannot master their own sin like Cain like us and the reality of sin at work in the hearts and lives of people. And last week, Peter really highlighted that, that ugly reality, uh, specifically as it was shown in Cain. So here, Moses follows the offspring of Cain for a very clear purpose. He's demonstrating the reality of the multiplication of sin, the twisting of God's good design in the midst of the growth of the nations or society and culture of that day. But it's not culture that is founded on faith in God or the promise in 315 of the offspring who will come. It's culture and society built on this reality of bondage, the twisting of God's word and the reality of sin played out. And in verse 17, we come into the text and we see that Cain knew his wife and she conceived and she bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Right? And so Cain, who is to be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth, and the reality is that he has a son, and with either for this son or with this son, builds a city. And it's not a city like Charleston or Chicago, probably more like a, an old fort that we would have had here in, in colonial days. Something for protection, something that, that you can center in. You know, Cain, we see him really settling down. This is a reality that he is, is beginning uh, and building this for his son. And this is a city ultimately that is opposed to God because that is the founder. And that is Cain, and that is the serpent that he follows. 
And this is seen also in the unique aspects of the names of, of Cain's offspring. And we watch this line continue to grow really until we reach the seventh generation. And if you remember the number seven, you know, on the seventh day, God rested. And the seventh day is, is a, a completion number. And as we come from really through Cain to Lamech, we get to this seventh child or seventh son. And there's almost this completion, this multiplication, this fullness of sin that is being revealed for us. And so Lamech is the focus of the entire section. Notice that in verse 19, the text just simply states, Lamech took two wives. And that's a subtle shift, but it's a clear divergence from God's good design and creation. It is a, a sexual twisting of what God has made for two to become one is now a, a three but it goes on from there. It doesn't stop. Even the names of his wives. One is Ada, the other Zillah. Ada, the decorated or beautiful. Zillah, sweet voice or musical, right? One of those two. And you think about what, what we are often drawn to. I mean, Lamech, for, for his day, he runs after beauty and uh, the sweet voice of Zillah. His first wife, Ada, gives him two sons, Jabal is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. This is more than just keeping animals like Abel had. Uh, this is almost like a pioneer in animal husbandry and one who is, is uh, uh, nomadic. And we see sort of that foundation culturally coming. His brother Jabal, though, or his brother Jubal, is a pioneer in music. And we see that he was one who... Uh, was the father of those who played the lyre and the pipe. And so we get these stringed and, and wind instruments, possibly influenced by Zilla. I don't know. Um, but here's pioneering sons in the things that are valued in, in culture and society. Zilla's son, Tubal Cain, and an interesting name as we think about the seventh generation uh, through Cain, he becomes a forger in bronze, brass, or iron. And this is a pioneer in both tools and we think the hints are there for weapons. So you get this, this reality of tools and weapons uh, coming through the offspring of Cain. And that leads us then into this final poetic section, sort of building uh, into this uh, poetry uttered by Lamech to his wives see in verse 23, Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. As we're reading, and we want to read the text from the back going forward and seeing how things continue to build, there's an echo there already, just as you read it, the same language as God uh, confronts and as we hear this reality of, of, uh, of God to Adam, you listened, you heeded the voice of your wife. And the voice of his wife was not a voice of submission to God and God's truth. The voice of his wife really was opposing God. And, and so as Lamech is calling his wives to listen to his voice, we have this echo to know that, that this is contrary. This is something that's going to be against what God has spoken as true. and calls people to walk in. So listen, listen to what I say. In this, we see Lamech leading his wives into the reality of the rebellion that exists in his own heart. Almost a picture of the, the fall and the twist of the one who will rule over his wife. And here Lamech is ruling his wives. Listen, listen to this. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. And there's debate. Had he killed? Is he saying that he, he would kill? And if he does, this is what will happen. I think, I think of the natural reading of the text. This is what he's done. Because he's, he's pushing back to Cain who has killed his brother. And here is Lamech almost boasting to his wives. Yes, I've killed a man for wounding me. A young man. A young man for striking me. There's a twisting of what God has called men to be in his design. Because as you walk back to, to the garden, what are men called to be? They are called to work and to keep or to cultivate and to protect. 
And here, Lamech is doing the opposite. He is going to oppose any who threaten him. He's saying, if you get in my way, watch out, because you'll be like this. Lamech will not stand to be opposed, because I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man who should have been protected, who should have been led, who should have been cultivated in that, in, in that sense. And Lamech does the opposite. And he's boasting, listen, my wives, listen. And of course, he's announcing it to a broader audience than just his wives. Lamech proclaims then in verse 24 this, uh, this revenge, uh, a curse in a sense, over those who might seek to avenge him for what he has done. It's in verse 24. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And that draws back on where God had said that if anyone were to try to revenge against Cain, then, then there would be a sevenfold uh, vengeance on them. And, and that was God speaking. And here it, Lamech is proclaiming as if he's in the place of God. Right? If Cain's is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. This multiplying of this number seven and 77-fold. So in this section, we see the pursuit of culture and music, that which is beautiful and has a sweet song, that which really is entertaining and ease, along with tools and weapons to self-exaltation and a threat and a curse that declares no one should stand in my way. Sounds very much like Western culture today. What's common across cultures around the world. (coughs) I think we also see that in our own hearts. It's our own nature to exalt ourselves. It's our own nature to defend ourselves, to want to be right, to take offense, and to even harm others, if not physically, then verbally, through what is said, or through what is not said, or through what is not done. Just as it's our nature to sin and hide, to blame and deflect, it's also our nature to be easily captivated by what is beautiful, by the sweet song. Laura Beth and I have said for many years that Satan has a special song for America. It's a lullaby where he wants to sing us to sleep. And this is the reality of the world in which we live. As we see Lamech pictured, really Lamech is is an example of the the culture of the day. And we're going to see that continue to to uh, expound really as we come into chapter 6 as Peter will, will take us there next week. But the section doesn't end with Lamech. And that's what I love. Because it could, right? As we see this display of anti-God and twisting of God's truth and God's word really running after ourselves and, and, and what we find our culture's exalting, it ends with hope. In verse 25 Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth, which means appointed. Why? Because, she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So again, the story drawing us back from Lamech to Cain again. But yet, in the midst of this, God has appointed. God has a clear design and purpose And then in verse 26, we see that to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And Enosh is a general name, like Adam. It just kind of means man or mankind, but it has a nuance to it. It's not strong strong man. It's not man in his strength like Lamech is presenting. Enosh is the opposite. It's man in his frailty. It's man in his weakness. And how amazing that the appointed would name his son frail man or Enosh. And you notice that it's at that time, text says, that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What a contrast with Lamech's calling upon his wives to hear his voice, 
to witness his boasting self-glory, self-worship. It's the opposite. As Enosh joins others who are submitted to in their weakness, in their frailty, they're calling upon the name of the one who is strength, the one who is promise, the one who comes and meets his people who call upon his name. And this is faith. This is faith and the pursuit of living lives of prayer and worship, calling upon God's name. That's the life being presented. So really here, two paths, right? two ways to walk. And we've seen the way of the serpent but this really leads us into the way of the deliverer, the, the way of the God of promise. So we come into chapter 5. And you notice that chapter 5 begins very much like Genesis 1. Right? This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in his likeness, male and female. And he, he walks through and there's no mention of Cain. It's just simply Adam lived 130 years, father to son in his likeness and image, and named him Seth. All right? So we've already talked about Cain. We're focusing on a new thing. This is a new line. This is the appointed line of which the deliverer will come. It's kind of like when you read Chronicles. You know, you read Chronicles and you're like, there's no mention of David's sin with Bathsheba. And you're like, well, yeah, that's because that was in Kings, right? The purpose of Chronicles is different. It's on the covenant. It's on the hope of God's faithfulness to his promise to David. And it's similar here. We don't need Cain here because the focus is on the line. And that leads us really into the way this genealogy is structured. And we kind of see a pattern, right? So-and-so, he lived this long, fathered this one, had sons and daughters, lived this long, and he died. Right? And as we read through it, didn't that kind of resonate? And he died, and he died, and he died. And, and it's meant to, right? There's no mention of Cain in, in 417 and following. You don't see that pattern. You don't see any died. I mean, I want to know, how old were those guys when they died? Like, I, I want that. I want to know that information. I want to compare it. It's not there. And yet here in the midst of this line, there's life, it's lived, it's fruitful, and they die. According to what God had said in the reality of sin and, and the curse that has come into the world of sin and death. But that line is leading us somewhere. It's taking us somewhere. And so Moses walks us through this and he um, really leads us to, to the seventh generation through Seth. Now remember the seventh generation through Cain was Lamech. As we follow the genealogy, we get to the seventh generation through Seth, and we come into verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. And he walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, had other sons and daughters, right? Same pattern, but then there's a change. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. It's amazing, is that if you actually walk through the, the genealogy and if you were to kind of put years, and again, not knowing exactly how these things worked, there, there's different debate and questions about the years and various things, but I think it's fascinating that if you walk through the years and you kind of see it, there's a reality that Adam, it's very possible that Adam lived to see his great, 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 great grandchildren, All right? So it's not just that Adam lived, died, and then the next one. So the genealogy, we kind of read it that way. But if you actually set it up and you follow through, you get really Adam experiencing right there all the way down to Enoch. Um, and, and as Enoch then lives, he has access and others have access to the creation story, to the truth in the garden, to the hope of 315 and the promise of the one who would come. And you can hear great, great, great grandpa Adam tell us that story, right? Oh, I don't like that story, but it has great hope. And you can hear it. And then something happens during Enoch's life. Uh, Adam dies. And you just think about how, how shocking that reality would be. Because yes, we've seen death at the hands of Cain, death at the hands of Lamech and others. There's a reality of violence and death. 
But now Adam, the firstborn creation of, of, of humanity, dies. What happened to Adam? Where did he go? Is there life beyond this? And you can just imagine the questions that would start coming. Because nobody knows. And it's about 50 years later, a very short amount of time, that there's this guy named Enoch who walks with God and he doesn't die. He was not. He was no longer. He was there and then he wasn't. Why? Because God took him. God took him where? I don't know, somewhere where God is. You mean there's life beyond this life? There must. You mean there's a way to escape the curse of death? There must be. And you see this incredible witness to an entire, not just generation, but generations of generations of generations who are alive at this moment in this day. And what God reveals in this reality of this man named Enoch. And I love that tucked into that text is just that simple phrase in verse 22. Enoch walked with God. And then in verse 24, Enoch walked with God. It's meant to make us think of the garden. It's meant to draw us back into the place where God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden before sin was in the world, before death was in the world. It's meant to draw us to that and say, wait, outside of the garden and the reality of sin and the reality of death and the reality of the brokenness, you can still walk with God? And the answer is a resounding Yes. Walking with God is this beautiful picture of relationship with God. It's living quorum Deo. It's living before the face of God. It's walking with Him outside of the garden. And when Laura Beth and I first started to take walks together, at first I thought it was a bit boring because I, needed, I wanted a goal. I wanted something to, to, to accomplish and to do. And yet we're walking but, yeah, exercise is helpful, but it wasn't the greatest part of the walking. It became a time for us to connect. It became a, a sweet time to just be together, to debrief our day, to talk about various issues, to heart connect together. And what's amazing is for us, it actually became a time of prayer and worship, calling upon God's name together. During the summer when we felt like we had lost Uganda, when we had come back from Uganda and we were still very raw, very filled with grief and, and hurt, we would get up in the early mornings before the day was on us, the heat would come, before kids would wake up, and they would be on us, um, and we would walk together, and it was like we were desperate for it. And we would walk and we would cry out together to God. We would cry, we would pray, we would sometimes just worship as we walked for miles and miles in this beautiful nature preserve that was very close to where we were staying. What I love now is that our walking, when we walk together, it's to the point where even if I don't think I have anything to say, I can't, I can't think of anything to share, we start walking, it's like somehow stuff in there just starts coming out. It's just natural, it's normal. Because it's an intimate connecting time for us. And that's the picture of Enoch walking with God. One author states this he, about the imagery. He says that it, it denotes the most intimate intercourse with God. So to speak, a permanent view of a present God. A continual following after God's guidance. Remember there were times where if I would go for a walk by myself, this is going to sound silly. I've actually never said this. <laughs> now I'm kind of embarrassed. 
<laughs> but as to go for a walk and just enjoying God and just be prayerful and just delighting it just every once in a while. Just, it's very rare. But I would just kind of go like this and walk along. Like I'm holding my father's hand, right? I'm just walking with God. He's walking with me. Thank you. What an image of Enoch walking before the face of his God. And it's language that we will see occurring throughout the rest of Scripture. We'll, we'll hear Noah. Noah walked with God. We'll see that Abraham, right, before the Lord, uh, before whom I've walked. Jacob, speaking of Abraham and Isaac, the God before whom my fathers walked. And of course, David uh, as well. But how did Enoch actually walk with God? How did he actually do it? Because wouldn't that be cool? Do you want to go walk? Do you want to walk with God? I do. It's actually not complicated. I used to think Enoch was a special spiritual man. After all, he walked with God. And then he was no more. Hebrews 11 actually tells us this. Speaking of Enoch. Peter led us there talking about Abel. We see the same thing, and I love how the New Testament gives light to shine back into the text and to make it come alive. Hebrews 11 verse 5 says this, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't hide away from those who seek him. He, he comes after. He gives to. He offers himself to those who seek him, even as he draws us to seek him. Whoever wants to draw near to God, if you want to walk with God, you walk with him by What's the word? By faith. Just as Abel approached and his offering was received because he offered it in faith. He loved God and he believed the truth of the promise of the offspring who would come. And Enoch is the same. He walks by faith. He believes the promise. And he drew near to the God who walked with him. Enoch lived Really, the reality of chapter 4, verse 26, he lived calling upon the name of the Lord. In prayer and worship of God. But what about Enoch's theology? I mean, did he have it all right? Did he, did, he, did he have it nailed? I mean, surely he must have been perfect in his understanding, right? Well, those are questions I would have. But the text doesn't give us any of that. Enoch didn't live uh, in, in the midst of the abundance of revelation, he lived in the reality of simple faith. 3.15, I mean, that's what he had. That's what was passed on. The hope of what God would do. And he pleased God. How? He walked by faith. He believed the promise. It's that simple. He pleased God because he was God's. He believed and he turned away from sin and he trusted God to overcome the reality of sin and death. The reality that Lamech is boasting in finds its opposite in Enoch. Lamech or Enoch had other sons and daughters. We follow through Methuselah. Kids, how old was Methuselah when he died? Good job, 969, oldest recorded man in the Bible. Methuselah had a son whom he also named Lamech. And so we get a different Lamech. And this is leading us really to the 10th to the generation through Seth, which will be Noah. And there's a very significant numbers. And so Lamech, uh, in verse 29, has a son. He calls his name Noah. And he makes this very interesting statement. He says, out of the ground that, that Yahweh, that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil 
of our hands. Lamech, uh, and again Moses uh, bringing out this reality, Lamech is drawing us back to the reality of the curse. And so it's, it's leading us again to tie us into the reality of sin and death and the world that Lamech finds himself in. Even as Enoch has escaped it, we're looking for the one who's actually going to bring us rest. True Sabbath rest. True garden rest. And may it be this one in the ground that God has cursed. Let this one bring relief from this curse that sin has brought into our world. So he names his son rest. Noah means rest, the one to bring comfort to a people. And he has hope. Lamech's hope is not unfounded. It is clear. It is the same hope that drove Enoch and that drives every God follower in the promise that he has given. But maybe Lamech is a bit misguided because Noah actually will not fulfill this, at least not in the way it, it seems prophetically to be uttered. Because Noah isn't actually going to be the one who will bring true rest. He's not going to be the one to bring true comfort from the work of their hands. Uh, now, interestingly, as we walk through the story, we'll see that, that through Noah there is something special that's going to happen. And there is a picture of something greater, a greater reality that's going to come. But Noah cannot fulfill the statement really as it's, as it's uttered. And that's okay. Because it's leading us to something. Because Noah will be a picture, a shadow, a sliver of rest. To lead us to the one who is the greater Noah. Who brings a greater salvation. And we'll see that. And a greater rest. Because there's a greater Noah and a greater Enoch. And who rather than escaping death, like Abel, he will be slain. And he will take on himself the curse of sin. And he will be put into the cursed ground, into a tomb. And after three days, he will rise again, proclaiming victory over sin and death and Satan. And he will bring true rest, true relief, true comfort for the people of God. Because God has brought a severe mercy. It is a severe mercy that, that those of old looked ahead to. And though they could not see the intricacies of how it all would play out, they knew he would come. And he came. And God brought the severe mercy at the cost of his son. As God brought judgment on Christ that we deserve, that he would bring mercy to us that we don't deserve. Because we are like Lamech. We boast. We, we proclaim. We walk and strive independently from God. And even in the truths that we hear, we walk away and we say, yes, but I will live my life. We push God to the side. We push people out of the way. And yet this is where the gospel comes and it meets us because God is the God who comes to us and we are invited to walk with God. This is not just for Enoch. It's for men and women and children like you and me living life and choosing to believe and live according to the truths of God. Did you know that you can walk with God. It may not feel that way sometimes. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul uh, quoting scripture and really re repeating what God has said. We'll hear this. Listen to these words. It says, For we are indeed the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God 
and they shall be my people. Isn't that awesome? He makes us his temple. He comes and he walks with us. Jesus himself stated in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, he said to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And those are the seven churches that he's writing to. Jesus who walks among the churches. God who comes down to us and walks with us because Jesus has conquered sin and death through his Holy Spirit. God comes and walks among us and he invites us to walk with him. Can't you just hear it? If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, there is hope of resurrection greater than Enoch. An overcoming of sin and death in your life, wherever you find yourself, that is greater because it displays the great glory of the God who saves and who comes and walks with his people. And you can hear it echoed in Gerald and Jane Ellen walked with God. And Laura Ellen walked with God. And Cole walked with God. And Becky walked with God. And Leanne walked with God. And Tiffany walked with God. And Jenna walked with God. And you just want to hear your name. All right, I don't have time. <laughs> All right. If you really want to hear your name, I'll, I'll try. But... Because that's the testimony of his church. You have walked with God. And you are invited to grow deeper in that journey in him. To walk with him. What can be greater in the world? You can have Ada and Zilla. You can have beauty and sweet song. You can have all of the stuff. Give me Jesus. Walk with God. To live life calling upon his name. That should woo your heart by his spirit. Because you were made to know him. You were made to journey with him together. We constantly face these two paths, these two ways to walk. God invites us this day to journey with him. To be washed with his word and his truth and to cling to it in hope. He invites us to journey together. Last week, Peter challenged us. He challenged us to enter into each other's lives with love. That was awesome. To truly love one another. This week I want to press us to journey deeper in God together, holding his hand, walking with him, but walking together with him. That we would be a people calling upon the name of the Lord. It's not hard, though it can feel so weird at first. If you had conversation, you say, yeah, I will pray for you. There's something so much more glorious about, let me pray for you. I love those words, and I love that, that right there. Just bring me right here, because Christ is with us. We pray together. There's something beautiful about gathering together in worship. There's something beautiful about gathering together in prayer and calling upon his name. It's easy to get together and talk theology. It's easy to get together and talk sports. It's easy to get together and talk cooking. It's easy to get together and talk whatever. And those are no problem. But it takes it into a whole different place when we call upon his name together. When we join together and pray. We worship. We are a people walking with God together. Last week, an older woman called Laura Beth said, hey, do you want to go for a walk? This is an old, old mom of mine that lives in our neighborhood, precious, dear woman who's prayed for us for years. And for an hour, this older woman just listened to Laura Beth, spoke into her. And as they walked, just walking and talking, they just start praying, sing a song, just pray and worship. They walked, they talked. And they prayed, you can do that. Walk as a couple. 
Maybe just get up. Take 10 minutes together. Call upon his name. There was a marriage once. Uh, well, it's, I guess it is once. It's, it's, it's a bit split now. Years back, a husband and wife were walking through some very, very difficult things. This wife was just longing for her husband, for his heart, and he had given his heart over to so many other things that, that what he had to offer her was, in his mind, everything. But it was just a piece, not, not the whole. Um, and as I heard his wife's cry, heart cry, and as Laura and I were listening to them, I just said to him, what do you think? Would it be possible if before you leave for work, you just pause and just just read a psalm and just just pray with your wife? And he literally recoiled like, no! And it was like something just happened right there. That was wild. That no! It wasn't just a, mm, oh, maybe. I mean, it was a no. Because it, it revealed something. Something was touched in that reality. Because, because our hearts are revealed. You can claim Christ and go to church and do, do churchy things. But to walk with God, to, to live a life calling upon his name, to draw others into that reveals the reality of the heart. And as his people, that must echo in us and be descriptive of us. Have you cultivated a lifestyle of prayer and worship in private and with others? As I come out of this passage and as we prepare to move into chapter 6, I hope our hearts are stirred together with this simple truth. We can walk with God. Let us journey with Him together because it's through His Spirit and through his body, that God himself enters with us into the severe places. He brings his severe mercy into the things in our lives that cry out, this world is broken, this body is broken, these relationships are broken. But he gives us hope. And he transforms these things for his glory. And that we would know him. And that we would know one another as we walk with God together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God who comes and walks with us. That you don't wait for us to, to, to come to you. You've come to us through your Son. You walk among us by your Spirit and you give us the great privilege of walking with you. Lord, I want to walk with you. I hope that's, that's the, the echo of the hearts in this room. We want to walk with you, Lord. We want to be aware of you. We want to be aware of your presence with us. We get so caught and trapped in this physical and all the things that our culture runs after. And, and really the, the, the echoing of Lamech in the culture of our day. But Lord, would you give us hearts and minds to behold you and to respond to you in prayer and in worship together. Would you stir us, Lord, deeper in relationship with you, deeper in relationship with each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us?